This is Mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. We're still in a world, and sports should never give this thing up. We all still want to create this cultural moment where everyone is watching the same thing and talking about it at the same time. That is ultimately how you break through. And that is ultimately how you create these cultural moments that people are talking about all the time. As media consumption habits continue to change, can professional sports still bring people together in the same ways they used to? Our guest today is Emeka Ofadale, the Vice President of Sports Marketing at ESPN. With over 20 years experience at the Sports Network powerhouse, Emeka has seen sports fandom significantly change over the last couple of decades. Tune in to hear the innovative strategies from his marketing playbook that have helped ESPN continue to connect with the modern sports fan. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. My first question is just a, you know, a super easy one, Emeka, and I just want to understand how you manage global brand strategies for this portfolio at ESPN of sports properties. I mean, you have these massive brands with so much content and experience happening across, you know, the big ones, NFL, NBA, college football, MLB, NHL. There's a long list of them. How do you manage just global brand strategies for all of these properties? Like, what, how how is that even done beyond an amazing supported team? How do you view that from your perspective, looking at each of these really interesting, you know, piece each of these brands within this portfolio? How do you do it? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and I think you started off the, the right way, right? Like, you can't necessarily do it without sort of a great team that is helping sort of achieve that. I think when you think about sort of the sports portfolio, there are a few things that we have to do, right? Like, I think the way we look at it is like, all right, there are essentially like two major like jobs, right? One um, is this idea of consumption, right? So like our business is we want to drive as many people to tune in to our sports events, uh, to subscribe to ESPN plus or to use, you know, whether it's our fantasy football app. But it's like this idea of consumption. We want sports fans to consume our sports content. And that ranges across, you know, viewership to, you know, 
subscribing. The other part too is this idea of brand, right? We want to leverage, you know, this portfolio, we, the sports portfolio we have to build like a close and deep relationship um, sports fans have with ESPN through live sports. So those are like the kind of like the two things that we think about. Then every sport ultimately plays a role in, in doing so, right? So, but like at the same time, it's all connected. Like, and that's one of the things I love about sort of as you think about the sports portfolio. Yes, you can move from a NHL to a UFC to an NFL to an NBA. But ultimately, what that does is like gives you this like purview, this view on what's happening with the sports fan. So seeing how, you know, the fan is behaving on NBA could be relevant to seeing like what happens on college football could be then relevant to seeing what happens on NFL. Right. So it's ultimately at the end of the day, like it's all kind of connected, but essentially like every sport has what it like a job that it has to do and a role it has to play. And ultimately, we have to look at it at a high level of like, how can this sport drive our like the ESPN brand, but also how can we sort of drive as many people to consume these sports on ESPN? So like that's kind of like a kind of easy sort of macro way uh, to think about it. Okay. Okay. So backing up a little bit, you know, because I look at your, you know, career on paper, it's like you essentially became a marketer at ESPN, like you became a marketer. And not only that, you became a marketing leader at at ESPN as well. But at Columbia, did you study, would you study market marketing in Columbia? No, I didn't. I was an economics, economics, political science major. Okay. Okay. But the thing, the thing I always love telling the story about is you know, I've always had a passion for marketing, right? So I took a, like, I think a seminar class my senior year, right? So like a, the class was called executive leadership. And it, it's one of those sort of like last pieces of like, you know, like key things to completing your major. And, you know, in that class, like what the, like we have to have, like write this paper, right? At the end of it. And, you know, the whole idea was, it's executive leadership. So everyone sort of writes about like, who do we think have been great executive leaders, you know, throughout the course of history, right? So folks wrote about Lincoln and JFK. So my my sort of selection was like, hey, I was going to write about executive leadership within the athletic footwear industry, right? So I ended up, my whole paper ended up being about sort of like how Nike was able to, you know, overtake Adidas and, and, and Reebok at the time. And and it was about Phil Knight, right? Uh, but half that paper was sort of focused on this idea of, at the time, how Nike created this concept of sports marketing and sports marketing in terms of like really kind of connecting with, you know, consumers emotionally and through this sort of storytelling and how they did it with, you know, the agency that they've had for a bunch of years, uh, Wyden and Kennedy. And that was sort of, you know, I was sort of seeing like my passion point of like marketing and sports marketing come through. And at the time, I loved what ESPN was doing. I think everyone like who were watching like this is, you know, this is Sports Center commercials and everything else. So like that was, you know, where I knew that I, I wanted to make a difference in the sports marketing space. And that's something I tell people a lot. It's like, you know, look at your every day, look at what you're like leaning into and then ultimately see how that kind of connects into where you can, what you can bring to it professionally. What did you gravitate towards once you started ESPN? Cause you started again, 20, over 20 years ago. 
you get into this organization, there's a lot of there's a lot of lanes you can get into. There's a lot of interesting parts of the business and things people are working on. Where did you start? Like, and what kind of yeah? What did you notice? And what kind of yeah? What got your attention when you first started? Yeah, like so, like out you know started entry level, and in I was so fortunate to. Um, I still remember like getting there was tough, right? Like I think I did. I always tell people the importance of informational interviews. I think I did like 40 informational interviews before like I actually got wow. like wow. The, like the lead at ESPN. And I think I still have the business cards of all the informational interviews I got. Um, and then there are folks who, you know, took a chance on me and I started entry level. And one of the things that was really cool is like the ESPN at the time, you know, and still now, but like, it had just, you know, whether it was like the NBA at the time, X Games, all the like the cool thing about the company is that it just has a myriad of just incredible sort of sports and businesses around that, that you get to touch so much of the sports landscape, but at the same time, have it feel super different. Right. Like a story I, I like I tell a lot is, you know, I had a chance to like when we had NASCAR you can go from like working on NASCAR to the ESPYs to the NFL to, you know, fantasy football to tournament like and it feels like you're working on almost like a different pl- product that like the iPhone to the iPad to the, you know, the Apple Watch. And I think that's the part that's been so cool about the company, like how, you know, yes, it all seems like it's sports, but like working on something like F1 feels very different than working on something like soccer. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of energy that it's been, you know, you get the chance to do and you get the chance to like be able to sort of cut your teeth on. And I was lucky enough that I was able to kind of over the early time of my career, like move around a lot of the sports portfolio, which I think gave me a couple of things like one, this sense of, you know, how different fans and different sports and leagues operate Two within the company allows you to kind of build a network of relationships with people that ultimately you're going to, you know, do a lot of, you know, work even more closely together as you get into a more sort of like senior level. Wow. And I think third, it just kind of like gave me understanding of the business of how important, you know, these portfolios and these, in these properties are to driving not only ESPN, the brand, but the business, but also the connection it has with fans. Mm. I mean, you're, you've really been such a, I mean, such a pioneer in, in this industry because you, again, you have this, you have this tenure, you've been through such an evolution yourself as an, as an executive and also seeing the way the world has changed and this evolution of the consumer. You've, you've got to witness this really in front row seat at the intersection of all of the sports that people pay attention to. You've gotten to see this world change and be a part of contributing to that in a big way. And now here we are in 2022 the evolution of the consumer behavior. What are you paying attention to when it comes to how the world is is consuming content, reacting to things? I mean, you to me have such interesting perspective going back again, 20 years witnessing these really landmark, you know, things that happen in the world. Yeah. What's, what is it like now, this evolution of the consumer? Yeah. Like the fan and the consumer has probably been one of the most fascinating things that I've had the chance to sort of witness. Right. So, Let's let's walk through it. Like if you if you go back, right, 20 years, 15 to 20 years, the two kind of main ways you would define a sports fan are like two major metrics, right? Like it's like time spent and knowledge, right? So what I mean by time spent is like 
All right. Hey, I watched five college football games this weekend. I'm a I'm a huge sports fan or, you know, uh, knowledge, like in the sense of like, hey, I can tell you who played first base in 1979. Right. For like and like that. Those were kind of like that person's a sports fan. Fast forward today. Like what's super interesting to me is like it's like the sports industry is actually has gone through this sort of like almost like amazing expansion, right? It's all about like the traditional sports that we know, but there's all of these like adjacent businesses, adjacent sort of ways to consume and connections that surround like the traditional kind of way of like how we think about sports, whether it's betting, whether it's NFTs, whether it's like even fashion, whether it's music. So what's if sports, like the main sports are like, is like the inside ring, like ring, like what's around it has exp- like is the thing that's formed almost like a solar system, right? Like that around sports in a way that's like incredible. And what is that? That has then changed the idea of like how you think about fandom, right? So now a fan could say like, Hey, I love the sneaker game and like how, you know, NBA, like the tunnel fashion, right? For NBA players or like what sneakers they were wearing. You know, I might not necessarily watch a full NBA game, but like I consider myself a huge sports fan, right? I love the way sort of like, you know, Brady takes care of himself in terms of like wellness and recovery and how he eats. And like, because I do love that, I consider myself a huge sports fan, right? So it's like all these different definitions that now people are like that or they think, you know, they sort of living uh, of like, hey, I'm really connecting into sports this way. And thus I'm a big sports fan in a way that like 20 years ago, that was not necessarily the case. Like you had to like watch all these games. You had to like, you know, have like an encyclopedia knowledge of all these things. And I think that's been one of the most interesting things I've seen is like the expansion of what sport means and the fans then who are being brought in to connect with that. That's so interesting. I mean, the, You've been credited by bringing the ESPN brand to, to to new audiences, right? You talk about you're at this place of you know sports and music and culture, and you've done some you know your your contribution to some really cool campaigns that we know of. Um, are you ready? Monday Night Football that was a great one, which I, I watched again today. Brought me back. Um, but where did that start with the, this this interest this interest in bringing music and connecting ESPN? Or deepening their roots in the music space. What was that about? Because it's like that was an area you went down and and successfully. Yes. So like, I think one of the things that's really important from a marketing perspective is like, great ideas are always based off simple insights, right? And one of the sort of key insights on um, just sports in general, and and whether you're thinking about the intersection of you know football and music or basketball and music is that there's a huge crossover between music and sports fans. So like, I think we did some like research a bunch of years ago, like the insight was like, you know, 60 or 70% of like football fans are super music fans. Right. So like that alone was like this idea of like music could be a great hook to bring more people in where you're not always having to talk about the stats and like what happened in last night game. Like you can talk about it in a much more sort of, um, meet that fan and that consumer on their terms. Second, the idea is like athletes want to be musicians, musicians want to be athletes. So it was just this like natural kind of cultural like crossover 
that, you know, ESPN has has every right to play in that and like be a faci- facilitator for that type of conversation. Sure. So, you know, what what I wanted to do was like pretty simple it was like leverage, you know, not necessarily think of sports as a sports platform. Think about sports as a music platform that just happens to have sports. Hmm. Right. And which ultimately then opens you up to like doing, I think, a lot of like really interesting things and like bringing music and having a music conversation in a way that um, you might not necessarily have if you're just like looking at sports just from one perspective alone. There was this Hallmark collaboration you were involved in with the, this first ever exclusive deal with Interscope Records yeah. right, to promote college football. What did you learn in that? Yeah. And that connection and partnership with Interscope, what happened as a result of working with these artists like Diplo and DJ Khaled and Drake for Monday Night Football? What did you learn there? What was it like? Take us inside some of those yeah, conversations and some of the things that happened there. Yeah. Interscope has been a great partner. Um, awesome relationship with, you know, folks like Steve Berman and Dave Neiman. And I think the, the thought at the end, like at that point in time is like the reason why you want to sort of, you know, you want to pat you know, a lot of times in marketing, like what we'll do is like if we're promoting a game, like you'll you'll license a song. Right. And like it's just like a cool background track to like promote the game. But what you can do by going deeper and by sort of partnering like more deeply and closer with the label and the artist is that it unlocks so much more. Right. So like the whole idea of the Interscope partnership at the time was Instead of just like thinking about, all right, like we'll just take your song and and like we'll run it. It's like, why couldn't we sort of put this whole like marketing engine on top of what we're doing? Right. Why can't we like get the artists to post on their social? Why can't we get the label to like really fully support? Why couldn't we bring this whole conversation and reach all these people that we're not necessarily reaching, just having a sports conversation and bring them into the fold? And so that was the whole like merit of it. It's like, you know what? Music offers us the opportunity to have a deeper partnership and having a deeper partnership. Both parties are super invested and both parties are super invested. That then means we can sort of do more from a marketing perspective. We can unlock a lot more of the sort of channels that wouldn't necessarily be available. And that was like a really awesome playbook for us in, in the sense of, oh, now like music could be like a lever for like a marketing channel, mm-hmm. right? In terms of how we bring more consumers and how we get like a publication like Billboard talking about college football or how we get, you know, all these other places that might not necessarily sort of, you know, be thinking this sport at the time, be like, oh, wow, this is a thing. Wow. Incredible. The other thing I know you you were heavily involved in was the the first ever college football playoff national championship halftime show. Right. Which was another big, I mean, historic event. There was a big initiative with Kendrick Lamar, who is one of my favorites. So shout out to Kendrick. We'll have, we'll have him on the show one day. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so just things, monumental moves that I think, again, now you can see the utility of that in other arenas and more games, more experiences. Right. I mean, that was a big move, uh, the college halftime show. Yeah. Like I think, you know, for us, you know, the way we, we thought about the college football playoff is, is like we, you know, we want to make it a Super Bowl type caliber event, right? We don't look at it as just a college football event or a sports event. Like we look at it as this like kind of cultural event. And once you start to put that type of perspective on it, is then you're starting to now bring in different pieces uh, to the conversation. 
And for us, the national championship game and like, look, a ton of credit to the NFL and how they've like, you know, done it on the Super Bowl side is like, you know, I think one of the coolest insights we found is like, you know, the highest rated like point of the Super Bowl is halftime. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. where you have all these people coming in to sort of see the act. And, you know, one of the areas for us was like, you know, we should take a look at that from a national championship perspective and like use a big moment like music to like not only bring more people and more sort of diverse groups of people at the start of the game, but also kind of like, you know, really sort of bring a ton of people to halftime and create this like huge conversation. And the other thing, too, for us on the at the time on the college football side, it was like, how do we now innovate in the space? Right. And one of the cool things about it is like, one, we did it outside, right? Like in the park uh, where it was a free concert and like college kids wearing their like, you know, school colors came through. It was the first time I think anyone had done hip hop and a solo act, right? At a game where like 28 million people show up. So it was just like this idea and we partnered with Interscope on it and like a ton of credit to Interscope and Kendrick's people. And mm-hmm. it was pretty special. And I think the other thing for us is we thought about you know, making this a cultural event, like Kendrick at the time was doing the soundtrack for Black Panther, right? So we also brought that Black Panther connection in. Like, I think we ran like a trailer right after the concert, uh, which was like this moment, right? So now you're having Kendrick, hip hop, outside, national championship, big fields, like big movie aspect on top of it. It just all of a sudden it starts to put like an event like that, making it a cultural temple, Versus just a, you know, a sports temple or a college football temple. Wow. What's your relationship with just velocity now these days, you know, being executive, leading sports marketing at ESPN, seeing a, how fast the world can change around us, how fast consumer behavior changes in terms of, you know, fan behavior and how they consume content and, and how fast, you know, sports and entertainment are in general. So to me, you've got to have this relationship with speed on how fast you can execute something, right? And you've got to be able to throttle that well because you you know you want to stay on the cutting edge. And you also want to be relevant in a lot of different ways. Um, and I would suspect you have a lot of resources and support at ESPN to make things happen fast. How do you balance that? You know, wanting things to happen fast. You know, having this relationship with growth, seeing things happen. You know, but also tapering that with reality and with you know what's happening in the world. Yeah, velocity is, is a really interesting question. Um, and I'm going to tie it into this idea of like, look, you know, a couple of years ago, like billions of content were coming to people all the time. Like, it's just like a consumer or yourself or my, like, we're just getting totally like over, you know, just so much coming to us. Right. So, so in a world where there's like a million things, you know, coming at you is like, how, like the fundamental question is how do you cut through? Mm-hmm. Right. And from a marketer's perspective, you know, what I, the analogy I always use is like uh, Golden State's offense, threes and dunks, right? It's so kind of crazy, but like, you really have to know what your threes are, right? Like what your big bets and like what you're going to sort of bring a lot of horsepower. And then you have to really know the things that you're going to be super efficient on, right? And I think that's sort of the way we think, right? Like where it's, this idea of one-offs to me doesn't necessarily like, I don't think in a world where there's millions of con- like pieces of content, all sorts of st- stuff coming at a consumer, 
a one-off is going to feel like uh, it's like white noise. It's like, you know, uh, paint, like white paint on a wall, right? It's going to just fall into the background. So you ultimately have to like have, you know, everything has to ladder up into sort of like one sort of big strategy that's ultimately going to pay off for you over the next couple of years. So I look a lot of like our journey of like, all right, how is this sort of all laddering up into like a single piece uh, of thinking and a single piece of how we want the consumer to go? So no individual effort is siloed, Hmm. right? So everything adds up to it. So like, that's like my three, right? It's like, we're like the things that are our must wins or uh, what we think are like our big foundational building blocks. Like we build it over time. So like case in point here, uh, we launched a campaign for the NFL called Ready for Football. And like, we've actually had that campaign for like the last three or four years. Cause we look at our journey with the like NFL fan. Like we look at it as like building each year. Like we're adding to that ladder and it's ultimately like going to one place. Right. So, and then the other idea is like this idea of like being efficient. So like if you're going to test and learn, like be super efficient, you know, don't necessarily overinvest in it. But like learn a lot as, as quickly as possible, then to then essentially re rechannel it into that master strategy. Mm. So I think marketers now like really have to think about this idea of like threes and dunks mm. in terms of like how they approach stuff. So like which maximizes sort of how you like maximizes your entire marketing pie. Mm. Something I noticed looking, doing a little research on the, you know, the the culture at ESPN, it looks like an incredibly diverse culture. I mean, look at the executive team, super diverse. And it also makes sense that, you know, in many ways, sports is very diverse, but you don't always see big brands with as much diversity. You know, it's a big, it's a big topic these days. We talk a lot about diversity and, and inclusion and, and we should, but what's it like? Again, it seems like the diversity is almost a secret weapon that ESPN has as well. Like, how much of that diversity on the ELT, on the team, just broadly speaking, powers ESPN and powers the impact that they make? Because it looks like a pretty diverse squad there. Look, I think you answered the question from the jump, right? Like where, you know, it has to represent who the sports fan is, right? Like sports fans are, you know, are probably, you know, over across all these sports are an incredibly diverse group. And at the end of the day, like we, the best relationship with them is the most authentic relationship. And that has to, you have to bring with that experiences, perspective and understanding, right? So I just think from the jump, like if you can't sort of like match that right internally, like you're always going to struggle, like, you know, building this sort of long lasting relationship uh, that you need to have with like the sports fan. So for us, it's not necessary. It's not a nice to have. It's like it's an imperative. It's like a must have. Mm. Right. Because if not, like over time, the sports fan will and the consumer always will always see right through it. Mm. Right. So like that's how I think the company has been able to sort of create this long lasting relationship is that like at the end of the day, like the sports fan is always good. Like we have to represent that. And like we have to then represent how. And we have to show that connection hmm. and we have to represent that connection and and their experiences and their perspectives internally hmm. for us to have any chance of like either growing that sport and having that, you know, that fan have a connection with ESPN. How would you describe the culture at ESPN? Like what would you, when you say, when someone asks like, what's the culture like at ESPN, what would you say to that? No, it's, the culture is fantastic. Like, look, what's the famous, you know, 
quote, like culture, you know, eats, you know, strategy for lunch. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a reason why, you know, companies continue to sort of, you know, be ahead of it, like continue to have the impact they have, not only in terms of the business of sports, but in culture, like the culture itself, because it's the culture and the culture is what happens in the dark. Right. Like, that's what I love. It's like when, you know, when you want to reach out to a team, like reaching out to a teammate when you don't have to. Right. Going that extra mile for, you know, on a project when you don't have to. And I think that's the type of culture that ESPN has had is just like, look, we're obsessed about the sports fan. And like we also look at ourselves as just fans. Right. Like that's like it's super approachable because everyone in the building is like, dude, I love the NBA. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I love cricket. Right. Like. And like when you start off as that, right, then it like you're already everyone is on a level playing field, right? Everyone is already speaking the same language and everyone knows what the end game is, right? The end game at the end of the day is like, how can we sort of be there, you know, anytime, anywhere in the best possible form for a sports fan, right? Because like we're living and we have that perspective as a sports fan. And how do we innovate with a sports fan? How do we sort of make sure we match their needs? So I think mm. that alone is, I think, one of the sort of like major things that have like really separated ESPN over the course of a ton of years is that it's like everyone's coming with this like, like, dude, like we're fans too, man. And like, once you like break that down, like anything you want to accomplish, is pretty easy. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's so awesome. Um, You know, I'm curious about, like, do you view, do you view the role, you know, as vice president of sports marketing at ESPN? Like, do you view it as a game that you suit up for every day and, and step onto the field? Because I also would imagine that there's, we talked about the speed at the velocity of this massive, you know, content machine, <laughs> this company, ESPN, it's gotta be a lot of pressure. It's gotta be a lot of noise, a lot of, a lot of competing interests, a lot of, you know, things vying for your attention at a high level and, and all, all the way down to maybe, you know, integrating things that are that are lower. How are you dealing with that? Again, a, a lot of impact is being made by the teams that you support and that work with you and that you support. And that's a lot of pressure, it seems like. So how do you how do you look at that and view that? Because you seem to have this overall attitude about like in gratitude that you're in the space that you're in because you're a fan, because you love what you do. But what about the pressure of having this much responsibility of what goes out and what you touch? Yeah, that's a great question. No, like I think, you know, probably anyone in this role, you know, at this level, what we're doing, like there is definitely like a huge amount of pressure and urgency, right? Like in the world we live, right? In terms of how did that game do? Like, what did it rate? Like, you know, what are we driving over here? And what I try to do is like, I try to sort of like tune out that noise, right? Because in a lot of ways, you know, we have to get to the a lot of times we're trying to solve like the root issue on stuff, right? Like marketing at the end of the day is like, can you find a root, build a strategy around that, then like ultimately sort of build upon that to like, you know, get to where you need to get to. So perfect example, you know, one of the things I think about, like we, a couple of years ago on the NFL side, you know, we, we were thinking about, Hey, how do we continue to grow our NFL business from a marketing perspective? And what we sort of discovered is just like a super interesting insight. It's like, right. All right. So if you look at 12 months out of the year, right, the number one sport the fan is interested in, right, 
is let's say it's the, like the NFL, right? Like most consistently, right? And if you look at sort of, you know, who has probably the most NFL outside of the NFL all year round is ESPN, right? So the insight there was like, look, we should be really sort of thinking about marketing the NFL 365 versus just sort of like marketing Monday Night Football, right? So where I, and this is relating to the noise is like, you don't feel the pressure the way I look at it is like, when we're, I'm doing my job right, it's the perfect intersection between the consumer and the business, right? So like if you lean so hard towards the consumer, you miss the business side. If you lean too much business, you miss the consumer. But if you bring those two things together in a way that makes super sense for the fan and the business, then that's where the magic is, right? So like we built the strategy NFL 365. We did the same thing on the NBA. And now what we're building, like we're building each year. Like we know our strategy and our foundation is right. And we know sort of, you know, our storytelling and the and the platform we, we are implementing to bring that to life is right. So it like you're you're never sort of feeling the sort of like the the short term like, oh, this happened here, this happened here, because we know over the next like year or two or three years, like this is where we want to go. So the way I sometimes think about the pressure is like, look, I'm looking over a three to four year timeline of how I want to grow that brand and that sport and the strategies that allow us to do that. Are any surprising insights in the past couple of years? As, as we all know, the world shifted a lot. And I'm sure one obvious thing is people were consuming a lot more content in the last couple of years. Any, anything like surprising that you noticed with yeah the data you have access to, the way fan and consumer behavior was shifting um, again, you're, you're thinking about a lot of things already in the, you know, the future and what's happening now, but any surprise, anything pop up that was like, Hmm, didn't realize that was going to happen. I think, you know, what's super interesting that like we're going through right now. And I think about is just like this idea of, you know, the relationship between sort of like watching on broadcast and streaming, right? Like, and how that is sort of, you know, playing out. Because what it's done is it's created this like really interesting fan, right? So like you have a fan who might say, Hey, like I just want to watch this game on broadcast or linear cable, whatever, what I have. Or a fan might say, Hey, I want to watch this game on both, you know, broadcast linear. And you know what? I also have streaming, right? So I'm going to watch it wherever is best for me. And you might have a fan who's like, I only have streaming. So I'm just going to watch that game. On streaming, and you might have a fan who's like, I don't have any, but I have friends who do, and I'm gonna like tag along. So it's created this sort of like consumer that is, you know, super interesting, but they're all interested in the same moment, right? And so the insight for me is like, we're still in a world, and sports should never give this thing up, is that we all still want to create this cultural moment where everyone is watching the same thing and talking about it at the same time, right? That is ultimately how you break through, right? And that is ultimately how you create these like things that, you know, cultural moments that people are talking about all the time. Perfect example, loved it. Like the last dance. So good, so good. Right, like the impact of what sports can do, right? But like what was happening then is like everyone was watching it at the same time and talking about at the same time. And that's the power of sports, right? And sports should never give that up. So like, like the insight for me is like, as the world gets more fragmented, mm-hmm. sports needs to play this role of like still bringing people together 
to talk about, to live these moments together and to like talk about all these things together. Because like, I think that's like how like we can like really sort of, you know, kind of cut through like all the noise that's happening in society. And I think that's still the power of sports. Wow. Do you ever get to work on the creative side of campaigns? Like, do you have time to get into that sort of thing and 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 dive into more, you know, creative stuff or is it? Yeah, that's a ton of fun. Like, you know, okay. and I think the way, you know, I think about stuff is like a lot of this idea of platform strategies and uh, creative platforms where we create something such as like great example, like we do something on MLB called Give Us Baseball, right? Our NBA platform, it's it's NBN, ESPN time, and like our NFL on ESPN is ready for football. So what the creative platform does is like it sets the tenor of the type of relationship we have with the consumer, right? Because now like we have a creative platform that allows us to build a relationship and a brand with the consumer. Then essentially throughout the year and every year, we then bring sort of different creative storytelling, but it's all connected to the platform, right? And so over the course of time, it, it's recognizable, but different, but it allows us to kind of like build this sort of, um, you know, it's almost like kind of like this marriage, right? Like you're just like, you're just investing and building even just like stronger and stronger bond that the bond gets better in year three versus year one. Mm. The bond gets better in year four versus year two. And that's the thought, like, like the sort of what I think about in terms of the importance of like platform strategies and creative platforms to go with it is that you're never restarting the relationship every year with some new campaign, right? Like you're building upon the relationship, which then allows you to kind of like go deeper in your storytelling, um, tell more stories, uh, because it's all related to where you're ultimately going and that, like what I said originally in that sort of three to four, five year strategic roadmap that you're thinking about from a marketing perspective. Hmm. How much time do you spend looking deeper at, you know, initial, you know, activations and campaigns within certain, you know, franchises or, or just, or just like at the league level, right? Cause you can see it at, at a really high level, but do you spend time kind of, Oh wait, the Timberwolves did something. Oh wait, or the NHL is doing this. Like how much of that plays into your like strategy and, and innovation? Yeah. Huge, huge aspect, right? Like you're always sort of like uh, looking at what the industry is doing. But I'm a, almost a little big believer of like, look, we have to run our playbook, right? It's like one of those things. Like if, if you know, Golden State's running their offense, like you're going to open up a shot for like, you know, uh, Steph, right? So like I think, you know, our thing is like if we focus on the relationship we have with the fan and like really sort of innovate with them, like we'll get to a place where we can lead, right? Versus being a fast follower. And so the way like we think about, you know, activations is like, how do we continue to deepen and evolve our relationship? So a couple of fun ones, like we sort of just did over the past, you know, years, this idea around sort of like, again, simple insights, big ideas. So the, uh, the goggles in the locker room for the NBA funds, right? So, like that's a good insight of like, hey, like once a team wins, everyone's wearing the goggles, right? So we decided to create this idea and credit to Arts and Letters, our agency, and also working with the NBA, victory goggles, right? So we took something that happened in the locker room and we made it more accessible for fans. And so that was like super fun. Like we created these special like gold customized victory goggles and 
and we're able to sort of like, you know, have a ton of fun with that activation. The other one around sort of NFL and our football sort of position in the postseason, like the insight was like, hey, like once you get into the postseason, you know, one of the leaders in postseason football is ESPN. So like we should create this idea of like a spice called postseasoning. Right. So we we created a spice and partner with, you know, like fantastic, like great chef to create the spice. And like now became this conversation of like whether you're about to make the playoff or if you make the playoff, you need postseasoning. Right. So it's again, it's just like this idea of having a ton of fun and making what's already happening in the culture of sport more accessible to more people to play like to play a part in. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when you think about like the metrics of that. Like, I think, you know, what we think about is a couple of things, right? It's like one, yes, you want the consumption metric, like impressions, like how many, like how you're doing in the earned media space. But like another metric is like the athlete metric is like, are the athletes playing a role? Are they giving you a stamp of approval? Right. The other like metric I love is like, you know, our league partners and the folks internally just like, oh, this is so cool. Let's work together on this. And the last one is like cultural. Right. Are fans who are not just like your avid and hardcore fans like participating? Are you bringing in more diverse sort of casual fans who are like, oh, this is amazing. Mm. Right. So and I think that's how we think about like activations is one. If we can run our playbook and be a leader in thinking about like our fan relationship per that sport. And if we can take simple insights and like what's already happening culturally and just bring it and democratize it in a way and bring it to more fans. And then then if we can have the impact where athletes are talking about it, you know, different fans from probably different sort of groups are talking about it. Um, It's great with our league partners and internally, and ultimately it's doing what it needs to do from an impression in the earned media perspective to bring more buzz to that particular moment. Wow. You could also, by the way, we've post Malone into that post seasoning. I'm just saying you can have that one for free if you, if you want, because because that, that could that could go that could go nice. Um, you talked about this idea of being an executive of the now and the future, and I'd like you to just again touch on that again and, and how important that's been for you in your career, and then maybe talk about when that became important for you and how you've been able to navigate again a 20 plus year at ESPN. Uh, and now in this executive leadership role of, of sports marketing vice president. Yeah, like I just think generally companies go through probably every seven to eight, nine, ten, whatever it is. Like there's this stretch like where a company overall has to go through a sense of transition and innovation to keep growing their business. Right. And what happens during that transition is that, you know, as executives, like we have to ultimately sort of see like, hey, do we want to be part of that type of transition and do we want to play an active role in it? And the way I see it is that there's there's essentially a decision to be made, right, of because the simplified version of it is like change is coming. Right. And how am I how am I going to adapt to that change? And am I going to be comfortable with that change? And there's a couple of ways that you can react. Right. Like. Change can be really difficult on people or change can be an opportunity. And I've seen throughout my career is like when there's been an element of change, when there's been an element of transformation or transition, that's always been an opportunity for me to grow my career. Right. And also, 
I think for executives overall, it also allows you to kind of like redefine and reinvent yourself, right? And which ultimately, like, I think it's important as you think about a 20 year career is that like reinvention without having the, you know, sort of like the major kind of like, re- like be like, oh my God, I went out to do this. And I re- like, you have to like really think about how you reinvent within the companies, the company that you're working with. And then what that reinvention means and how that does that continue to position you in a place of influence and in a place of like the right sort of growth. So that's the way I've sort of seen it is like anytime I've made the decision myself to be like, hey, I'm going to be an executive of, of the now and the future. And I'm going to play a real positive, you know, force and role, even though it might not necessarily be great for me right now. But I think if I play right it will be great for me in a year, right? It will be great for me in two years because like ultimately art, like careers are all about like increasing your ceiling, right? So like we all start with a ceiling in our career that is like finite, like let's say it's like a mountaintop. And yes, you can get promoted vertically, right? And you get that promotion after promotion. I, I always sort of talk about this is like be wary of the vertical prison is that you get promoted to the place where you like hit your ceiling and all of a sudden you're like, there's nowhere to go, right? You haven't developed like extra capacity. Like you have this title, but like strangely enough, like you feel in a less influential place in your career and in a less impactful place. And so what I really believe is like, you want to combine the right level of vertical growth with well-timed horizontal moves, which ultimately increase your ceiling. Why? One, you develop more capacity and skill set, right? Two, you show you can solve other problems other than the problem that you've been like working on. Three, you become more valuable to like a different set of people, right? Than the folks that you like you've been currently working on. And four, it shows the company that like you can be one of the people that they can, they can count on to help either solve difficult things or help like troubleshoot or help sort of grow a business that might not necessarily be as like thought through, but you can be a guy that, you know, can deal with ambiguity, can deal with sort of this change and then, you know, and go from there. So in a way it can make you more valuable. And because you've added all this other stuff, now your mountaintop increases, your ceiling increases. And now you can go a little bit, you know, sort of higher. And so that's kind of like what I think a lot about is like this idea of, you know, making sure. And that's where the, you know, the now and the future. And it's like, it's all about like increasing sort of like your ceiling of where your career can go. Hmm. Well, take us into the future. You know, it seems like ESPN is already very ubiquitous. You know, I go back to the, are you ready Monday Night Football campaign. I mean, if anything, that campaign says is like, we're everywhere you want us to be. You know, we're there with you wherever you are watching Monday Night Football. Take us into the future. What are you thinking about now? We have Web3, we have the metaverse, NFTs. How are fans going to be interacting with content? What do you see? Yeah, what do you see happening in the next few years? Because we seem to be moving fast towards a really interesting world. Yeah, and like what I think about is we're moving fast. Right. And, but we have to also like, I think for fans, like slow it down. Right. A lot of what I think about is 
How do we keep the main thing the main thing, right, in our relationship with the fan? Because in a world of, look, if you think about the surrounding environment for a consumer and a fan, it's like, you know, you're dealing with COVID and you're dealing with the impact of that on yourself or your family, whoever is impacted. You're dealing with sort of, you know, there's a war in Ukraine. There's, you know, there is uh, a recession might be coming. There's all this stuff that is putting a lot of pressure, you know, on a fan's sort of daily life, right? Then on top of that, then you're dealing with all this sort of content. Everything is moving so fast. And you have to be almost like you have to be empathetic with the fan and the consumer as like, we don't need to move. We don't need to like speed stuff up for them. Like it's moving fast enough. We actually Mm. need to slow it down. Mm. So a lot of what I think about is like for the future is like, how do we create sort of depth with a fan, right? How do we go from less sort of volume to quality and how do we sort of be more intentional like really sort of know what we want them to lean in on and where we want them to like say like all right cool that's great i got it move on Mm. right so it's this idea of like depth quality and like intentionality that and like slowing it down for the consumer that i think is going to be a really important thing that we all have to do in the future How much time are you spending on metaverse and NFTs and, you know, just the utility within your world? What are you noticing? What are you seeing? Uh, how bullish are you on those on those things? Like, I, th- I think the thing I, you know, and obviously the industry is going through what the industry is going through. But like what's super cool about some of these like the metaverse and NFTs is like the parallel to sports is like it's community based. Right. And so I think it's like that's the thing. It's like just break it down. Like, yes, there's. A lot of innovation, probably like a lot of executives have to like study and like, mm-hmm. like really understand. But like if you break it down and look at it at the fan level, it's like it's all about community. And I think if we can connect with people on that and bring that sort of sports parallel to it, like I think you can make the right inroads. So that's sort of like I think where I'm like really paying attention to is like this idea of like community and how that relates to sports. Oh, that's great. Okay. You ready for some lightning round questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So these will be, you know, lightning round. So try to answer, you know, as quick as you can. Answer from the the heart, the gut, if you will. And before we do that, I want to just give a, a shout out to our sponsor for the show. Salesforce is our partner for marketing trends. And when you think about marketing and engagement being brought together, you can learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We have Emeka Ofadale. Vice President of Sports Marketing at ESPN in the virtual studio today. <laughs> Emeka, are you ready for the first lightning round question? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. What's your favorite thing about New York? Accessibility. Like, I think not necessarily accessibility in the sense of like walking down. It's just like once you like get down your steps, like everyone's on the same plane, right? Okay. Do you have a favorite daily ritual that you do, like morning ritual or evening ritual? Yeah, I got to work out. Okay. Right? Like in the morning, if not, my head's all over the place. So like, I think one of the things is like making sure you take care of your mind and body. And for me, it's like working out in the morning. Okay. What does it look like for a Mecca to just think? Like, do you go off and put on music? Do you go for a walk? Like, do you shut all the windows of the doors? Like, what do you set up when you just have to to think? 
Yeah, it's all of that. Like anytime you can find quiet space, right? So like it could be showering, it could be going for a walk. Uh, it could be sort of like up because I listen to a lot of music late at night, just like by myself. And that's like where you have to do. It's like just like you have to find those quiet moments to like think. Who do you connect with just to bounce strategy off of? Like when you're thinking through the impact of things at your level, who who's someone that you're like, you know what? I want to I want a sounding board in this. Is there anyone that comes up for you? Yeah, no, like, look, I think, you know, just even my department, like, obviously, my boss, Laura, um, you know, I have peer groups that, you know, I I talk with, like, cross-functioning, I talk with, like, I think, easiest thing to, to think about, like, the way I look at bouncing strategy is that the more people and the more inputs you can get in perspective on what's actually going on with the sport will allow you to sort of get to the right place strategically. Mm, okay. What's the last time you tried something new? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> that's a good question. Um, you know, probably uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, I tried sort of to make I usually like do a smoothie in the morning. And that's kind of like my whole like, hey, I'm trying to get healthy. And I <laughs> tried something else. And like, that wasn't great. It wasn't a good move. OK. okay. Yeah. Um, what is an activity that makes you lose track of time? Uh, spending time with like my two girls and my wife, um, you know, it's super fun when I can like actually have that family time away from everything. Yeah, that's the best. I, I agree with you there, man. There's nothing better than the the time with the kids. Would you rather lose all of your old memories or never be able to make new ones? <laughs> if you had to pick one, if you had to pick one. I, like, you know what? Like, I'd rather... I'd rather lose all my old memories and live in the moment and the future. Okay. Okay. What is something that you are personally betting on for the future? Just what are you, yeah, what are you betting on for the future? You know what? I'm betting on people, right? Like I think the only way we get through things and the only way we either make a difference, turn things around, it always goes through people. So you always have to bet on people. What's something that impresses you today? I just think, you know, one of the things that is like just super impressive for me is like, I'm going to kind of relate it back to the like people aspect is just like, I think just just like this next generation of like folks and whether you want to call it Gen Z and all that, like how, like how they're sort of rising up and how they're defining like who they want to be and like, and what they're trying to, you know, change in the world. And, um, and I think it's going to be interesting to sort of see what their impact will be on society and like things like sports themselves. Mm. But, you know, it's, it's and like you see that with athletes now, right? Like kind of like, you know, people feel like they have a platform and they're living it and, and bringing a lot of conversation to the to the forefront. If you had access to a time machine, where would you go? Time machine. Um, some great sporting event, some place in the history, maybe somewhere in the future. Where would you want to go? Like, I'm always interested in, like, the most kind of, like, the best times of the best times for, like, a sporting period. Okay. Right? So, it's, like, the, you know, living through, you know, whether it's, like, the 90, like, the 90s of, you know, Jordan or going back, you know, a bunch of years ago to sort of seeing, like, World Cups, like, between Pele, like, okay. you know, take me to, like, when, like, the stakes are the highest, the conversation was the highest. And I like, just want to live that and like, see what that felt like. Okay. Besides ESPN, what's your favorite app on your phone? 
Oh, besides ESPN, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I love sort of, you know, Twitter and, um, you know, anything that allows me to, like, stay, like, connected uh, with, like, what's going on. Okay. Like, real-time conversation. Okay. Last question is, what's one thing you'd want to do this year that you've never done before? Ooh, that's a good, that's a good question, Jeremy. One thing I want to do this year, it feels like we've never done it before, but I do want to take my wife somewhere. Okay. <laughs> like, it, yes. like to, I get it. To, like, it's just like, let's just get out for a, <laughs> for a couple of days. I get it. Cool. Well, thank you, Emeka. This has been an incredible conversation. We're honored to have you on the show. Such an insightful dialogue, man. Congratulations to you and your family and the whole team at ESPN. Don't stop. Keep going because we're definitely paying attention. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. This was great. Like an awesome questions too. Like really great dialogue. Kudos to you. Amazing. Thank you, sir. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.